What's up, Momentum, and welcome to more On Mission with Jesus. If you're watching it this weekend, let me remind you that it is Valentine's Day weekend. I hope you planned a date. I hope you got that loved one, the flowers or candies or whatever it is for you. We've got another incredible week with Jesus ahead of us. Let's roll. Now, On Mission with Jesus. Here's our mission at Momentum. We've said we want to relaunch Momentum, not simply reopen Momentum. This year, our goal is to reintroduce our church to our city in the best, brightest form it's ever been. So there's going to be more to it for us than simply opening our doors and waiting for people to come. We're going to engage our city. And there's some reasons we're going to do that, and I'll just roll through them until you're tired of me saying these things. One, we have a gospel opportunity. We've been provided margin by COVID-19. We don't see it as a setback. We see it as a set up. And so before going back to church and business as usual, we're going to leverage this opportunity to connect with people who are far from God. We also want to reintroduce and refresh our church. We're going to use this time for more training, revisioning, for us to be in lockstep as a community, for us to know why we're here, what God's calling us to in this city, and how we go about doing that. We're going to take time and make sure those things are right before we go back. And finally, I believe wholeheartedly as we go on this mission together, we're going to have a deeper faith and a tighter bond. I want this mission together to bond us. I want us to get in over our heads and have to rely on God in new and exciting ways. And so those are our whys. This series is called On Mission with Jesus because Jesus lived a life of mission, of intentionality. He lived a life that impacted the world around him. That's what we want as a church. So we're following him. I want to start with a word you may have heard or you may not have heard. The word is simply theology. Now, churches should be anchored in good theology. As a matter of fact, your home and your life should be anchored in good theology. Theology in a church serves as a foundation for everything else we do. Now, you're going, what's theology or what's all this Bible nerd talk? Don't get confused. It simply comes from two words. Theos, which is God. Logi, which is knowledge or thinking. For us, theology is simply God thought. We want to have accurate thoughts about who God is, what what he's up to in the world, God's character, and how we live in light of that. So when you hear us talking about theology, don't get lost. We're just saying God thought. We want accurate God thought. And I'm bringing this up as our starting place today because I'm not going to lie. I'm going to take you straight into a passage that totally messed up my theology. I thought I had some things figured out. But then I encountered Jesus anew, and he showed me that I did not. Here's the question, and I'll just take you through my journey. Let me begin here. Can your faith save someone else? You ever think about that? Let me ask you the question. Can your faith save someone else? Now, in my ministry life, for the longest time, for me, the answer was a resounding no. Can you just fight? No. I spent 15 years preaching and teaching students and telling them over and over and over again, you can't have mom and dad's faith. You have to have your own faith. A day is coming at the end of your life, and it won't matter what your family believed. It'll matter what you believed. I've done Easter's. I've preached Easter and Christmas so many times now and been in those decision moments and, and just urging people and encouraging people to decide to choose Jesus because you can't get by on grandma's faith or somebody else's faith. Can your faith save somebody else. For the longest time, I would have told you a resounding no. 
But then I got to Luke chapter 5. Let's go there together. We'll go straight into the, the mission with Jesus. Let's go straight to his life, straight to his ministry, straight to his words and see the answer to this question. Now, context, Jesus is preaching and teaching around the Sea of Galilee and you get this passage. It says, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the, through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, let me just explain something to you. You heard what you thought you heard. This isn't mythology. You did, this isn't a misprint. This happened. Jesus is teaching, and it says people from Galilee, from all of Judea and around, I mean, think hundreds of thousands of people. This isn't a little crowd walking around, you know, a few people with Jesus walking some dusty road. The, the nation of Israel is being drawn into this anointed one. There's people everywhere. Towns are full. It's like when there's an event in a, you know, when those college students come back to town or when a major event is happening here in San Diego, tons of people are around. And that's what's happening around Jesus. There's so many people that there's these, this group of guys and we don't really know much about who they are, where they're from, but they have a paralyzed friend on a mat. They want to get the paralyzed friend to Jesus. There's too many people around. You can't even get close. So they decide they're going to climb the roof of this building, peel away, break through tile, and lower the man in front of Jesus. That's what you heard. And then we get these words. It goes down just like we thought, and this man is lowered in front of Jesus in the middle of this home. And it says these words that troubled me. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, sometimes when you look at a passage and you're studying, the geography can inform your theology. Sometimes geography can inform theology. Now, here's the geography of the passage or the spatial relationships. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, okay? So we, when Jesus saw the faith of the men on the roof, not the man on the mat, when Jesus saw their faith, he looked at the man on the mat and said, your sins are forgiven. Their faith uh, healed him and saved him of his sins. There is, from this passage, we can deduce a saving faith. There is a type of faith you can live and lead that will introduce other people to salvation. There is a type of faith that we, I'm going to say we as momentum on mission, must live out if we want to see this mission through. We want to live a saving faith. Now, what did these guys do? What was it that impressed Jesus? And how do we live that out in our lives today? We're going to talk about that. We're going to study this passage. We're going to pull it apart and learn how we together live a saving faith. So what can we learn here? Here, here we go. Number one is simply this. Saving faith believes in Jesus's power over the paralysis. Saving faith believes in Jesus's power 
over the paralysis. Can I take you back into the passage? It says, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Here we go. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on the mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Their goal is simple. We want to get this hurting person in front of Jesus. Their goal is genuine. We want to get this hurting person. He needs help. And we've come to realize the best chance he has is if we get him in front of Jesus. They believed in Jesus' power over the paralysis. We could say it like this. This whole series, if I could sum up the entire On Mission with Jesus in two words, it's simply this. Jesus saves. Uh, we've been saying this the entire time. It's not Matt that saves. It's not a church staff that saves. It's, it's, it's Jesus alone that saves. Now, to these men's credit, they understood that, and then they lived accordingly. If you've tasted salvation, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, if you found yourself in his care and you truly believe Jesus saves, the next most logical thing to do is introduce the people around you to the one who can save them. If you found, the va- if you found something that could completely eradicate coronavirus and it had changed your life, the most logical next step would be to share that with the world around you. Shoot, if you found a good restaurant and they made something new better than you've ever had it before, the most logical next step is to share it. When you've come to taste that salvation is found in Jesus, the most logical thing to do next is share the hope you found. This is bonus trivia for you. Mark also writes about this account. Uh, It's early in Mark's gospel. You see this exact same story from Mark's point of view. And do you know, when you read through the gospel of Mark, you realize that most people who found Jesus were brought to Jesus by somebody else. Let me say that again. If you read Mark's gospel, you find that most people who found Jesus were brought to Jesus by somebody else else. Think on that for a minute. These men believed in Jesus's power over the paralysis. Now, you may not have a lot of paralyzed people in your life, literally, but every single one of us knows some people who are experiencing paralysis emotionally and spiritually. Anxiety is a form of paralysis. Being stuck in your home, worried about the future, worried about what's coming next with cold sweats and bad sleep is a form of paralysis. Facing each day not knowing if you're going to make it and wondering if you can actually keep it together is a form of paralysis causing you or them, whoever it is, to settle for so much less than what God made them for. And Jesus is the answer. He has power over the paralysis of anxiety. In Jesus, there's an anchor and a hope for your soul. It's a place you can look for stability. In Jesus, in relationship with him, you find that no matter what is thrown at you, you will not be destroyed. In Jesus, you have identity. You don't have to go into work and try and achieve your identity. So work all of a sudden is far less pressure for you because you know you are held. You are enough. You are significant in him. First, there's real freedom over that paralysis in Jesus. Jesus, uh, pornography is a form of paralysis. Going back to something you know you shouldn't do disintegrates your soul. 
over and over again, walking away from the computer with a slimy less than feeling is not what God made you for, but Jesus has power over that paralysis. I'll tell you, if you have a porn struggle, you need a power greater than your own in relationship with Jesus. He not only takes your sin away, he gives you power and grace to continue to move forward in him. He's got power over the paralysis of pornography. He's got power over the paralysis of insecurity. There's paralysis in feeling like you're not enough like you don't have what it takes. There's paralysis in feeling like you're an imposter and Jesus has power over that. He can free you. He can remind you. He can, you dive into Christ and you find out that He made you and crafted you by hand for a specific life and mission on your time on earth and He fills you with the power you need to go and live that mission. There's power over the paralysis. These men believed that and then when they dropped this man through a roof, they're not doing anything outlandish. They're acting according to their beliefs and getting their paralyzed and hurting friend to Jesus. That's saving faith. Here's number two. Number two, saving faith sees the opportunity, not the obstacle. Some men, my goodness, let's go back. Again, we're going to pull this apart. Um, Some men, here's our verse again, came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. Wait a second. So they tried to get him to Jesus and then there's a crowd in the way. I put the dot, dot, dot there myself to remind you and me that this passage could have gone so many other ways. It could have said, there's a crowd. So they looked down at their friend and said, I'm sorry, Malachi, today's not your day. Let's go back home. It could have said, there was a big crowd. So they took a number and waited at the very back of the line. But Jesus had to go before they got to the front. And so they missed their God-given opportunity. It could have said that they just didn't feel like doing it that day because they had grown comfortable of just kind of having them, you know, their faith spoon-fed to them at the synagogue. And when it, came to take, when it came time to take some action that would transform somebody, they just really didn't feel like it. But that's not what happens. The passage continues and it says, when they couldn't get there because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. We don't know his name. We don't know who it was. But one of the men carrying this paralyzed man saw the crowd, and instead of seeing an obstacle, he saw an opportunity. Instead of saying, I don't know, let's go home, he said, guys, I have an idea. Like what? Well, let's just take him up on the roof. On the roof? You can't take him up on the roof. Yo, who says you can't take him up on the roof? It's Jesus. Look at this. If, if he truly is life and health and the power of God in human form, he's going to, and we, we go out of our way and we get a guy up there and we drop him in front of Jesus. What do you think is going to happen? You think something bad's going to happen? Hey, look, something bad already did happen. He's paralyzed. We got nothing to lose. Let's seize the opportunity and not get stuck on the obstacles. He saw the opportunity, saving faith, seize the opportunity, not just the obstacle saving faith. Hey, even after they made the decision to go through the roof, there are more obstacles. How are we going to get up on the roof? 
Who's got a rope? Where do we find a rope? How do we tie rope to this thing? How do we, how, I guess we're going to have to break the roof. Who's going to pay for the roof? I don't know. Let's figure out the roof later. What about when we break the roof? Who's going to be, how are we going to, what if we drop him? We can't drop our paralyzed friend. How embarrassing would that be? We don't want to drop the guy. There were all kinds of obstacles, but they stopped focusing on those and switched their gaze to the opportunity in front of them. These guys had a Lloyd Christmas kind of faith. You guys remember the movie Dumb and Dumber, where uh, he, he, he's been madly in love with this character, Mary, I forget her last name, but Lloyd finally sees her eye to eye. And he says, what are the chances a guy like me could end up with a girl like you? And she says, well, Lloyd, I, I, I mean, I don't really think there's much of a chance. Lloyd responds, what do you say, like one in a hundred? She pauses and she says, well, no, more like one in a million. And Lloyd Christmas pauses, looks back at Mary and says, so you're telling me there's a chance. You got to have a there's a chance faith if you want a saving faith. You got to have, we've got to be a community that moves forward saying, so you're telling me there's a chance? You're telling me there's a chance we could introduce people to Jesus in new ways? You're telling me there's a chance we could get creative and, and innovate and do something unique in our day? You're telling me there's a chance that we could reach people with the hope of Jesus? Absolutely. We've got to be a people who see the opportunity and not simply the obstacles. Can I tell you something? On the road ahead, we have obstacles coming from the outside and from within. On the outside, we're doing something. Not many, nobody's ever in history replanted a church on the back end of a global pandemic. We're going there. There's going to be challenges. Where are we going to meet? How are we going to connect with people? What are we going to do? What's our strategy going to be? There's plenty of, strat or of obstacles in that space. There's going to be obstacles from within. We are going to see other churches opening up sooner. And there's going to be a part of me and a part of you that's going, why do we got to do all this? Can we just go back to what I miss? But we have to stay focused on the opportunity. We have the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. We have the opportunity to heal families. We have the opportunity for kids to find a hope and an anchor for their souls. We have the opportunity to see addictions healed, to see salvation spread, and the name of Jesus lifted up and magnified in our city. We've got to keep our vision, you guys, on the opportunity that's in front of us. Saving faith, third and finally, is this. Saving faith is a faith that is committed to the task at hand. This passage this week was so exciting for me because it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture in the life of Christ, honestly. You know, I always tell you guys about times I'd like to see what happened on video. Oh, when I get to heaven, I'm watching this replay. But I learned something when I was reading the theologian David Guzik this week. And he said it in these words. He says, uh, he's talking about the action of these friends dropping their friends down. And it says, this proved the determination and the faith of the friends of the paralytic. They counted on Jesus healing their friend because it sure would have been a lot harder to bring him back up through the roof instead of lowering him down. What's that quote saying? He said, the men 
on top of that roof were dropping their friend in and they didn't have a plan for pulling him back out. There was no backup plan. It was, we're going to get him to Jesus and we're going to trust in Jesus to do the rest. They had committed wholeheartedly to the task at hand. And I believe that is essential for us as we move forward. Have you committed wholeheartedly to our vision for replanting this year? You know, oddly enough, you see Luke, the writer, tie a bunch of themes together. And it's undoubtable that in this section of Scripture, he wanted to emphasize a sold-out faith. Not a one-foot-out-the-door faith. Not I'll be there every now and then faith, but a sold out faith. The story right after this one is when Jesus calls the tax collector Matthew to follow him. And Luke makes sure to point out, it says, follow me, Jesus said, that's to Matthew. And it says this, Levi got up, left everything, followed him. What is Luke saying to you and to me is we have to go all in. There's no half faith. Half faith is no faith at all. And I want to just finish devotionally with you guys. Forgive me, I'm going to jump way to the other side of Scripture to a little passage in Exodus that I believe contains the same exact thought, and it's important, three words that we have to get our hearts around. Maybe you know the story, maybe you don't, but in an unexpected place, at an unexpected time, God shows up in the life of a man named Moses and calls him on a faith adventure that would change his life and the world forever. And it simply says this in Exodus 3, verse 4. It says, When the Lord saw that he, that's Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Now, maybe you've heard that passage before. Maybe you've read these words, but I just want to talk to you about these three right here. Moses was not letting God know where he was geographically. It wasn't, um, hey God, over here on your left. Yeah, yeah, here I am. No, 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 no. It was Moses encountering God, calling him to something radical. And when he says those three words, he's saying, God, here I am. Here's my heart. Here's my failures. Here's all the things I've been through. Here's my gifts. Here's my passion. Here's my resources. Here is me to do your work. You guys, as we go on mission with Jesus, it is essential that we're each willing to say these three words ourselves. Here I am. So as we wrap up, I just got to ask you, have you given all of you to God? Have you given all of you to God and the vision that he's laid before us? I just want to encourage you, maybe even right now, you just say those three words. Here I am. Maybe even right now in the chat, you just type them in. Just, you know, in the YouTube comments, in the chat on Facebook, wherever you're finding this. You just throw those words in as your prayer of dedication saying, I'm in. Because here's the deal, guys. I'm convinced if we together in lockstep around this vision... And we together have said, God, you can have all of me. The future in front of us is a bright one. That being said, I love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.